All signs point to the Seahawks striking a deal with Geno Smith, but even if they do resign the veteran, that might not necessarily curtail them from drafting a quarterback. Rob Rang and I are going to discuss comments from Pete Carroll and John Schneider on today's latest Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily podcast for everything Seahawks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined for our Tuesday episode by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, and a special thanks, as always, to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first lesson five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We've got a jam-packed episode today on the second day of the annual Combine Week. We'll be taking a look at some defensive players that could earn themselves a lot of money during testing and interviews this week. Plus, we'll be dishing out our latest takes for Transaction Tuesday on which two rookies that you prefer from a group of five to end up in Seahawks uniforms. Looking forward to sharing a number of listener responses during that segment. Again, jam-packed episode coming your way, so let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. With the franchise tag window officially starting last week, the time is now for the Seahawks to get a deal done with Geno Smith. And based on comments today at the Combine in Indianapolis from Pete Carroll and John Schneider, it sounds like positive progress is being made on that front. But not surprisingly, Rob, there were some interesting comments made by both members of Seattle's Brain Trust about heavily exploring the quarterback class because they hold the number five overall selection. And really the thing that we've been trying to hammer home on this show, and now we have even more reason to hammer it home, is that re-signing Geno Smith and drafting a quarterback with one of the two first-round picks, those two things do not have to be mutually exclusive, and nothing that was said by Carolyn Schneider today goes against that logic. No, exactly. I think that just kind of reinforced the ideas here that we've been kind of talking about, that the Seahawks are all in and want to bring Geno Smith back. At the same time, they're also all in on this 2023 draft class, the quarterback position. Um, you know, the, the Seattle has, has positioned themselves, I think, very, very well in, in this regard. And that obviously Geno Smith being named the comeback player of the year, I mean, he deserves a great deal of respect for what he did. But I think that the Seahawks, again, kind of knew heading into the season that it just might work out that he was going to be playing better than a lot of people thought. I think that, again, this is kind of a testament to Pete Carroll's system. And so I think that Seattle has a great deal of confidence that they can bring Juno Smith back and just really hit the ground running. But also that they're in such a great position to draft a young quarterback to develop, to get into that program and kickstart his. NFL career that they're really set up very nicely in that regard. I, I will say this too. I thought that one of the things that that were some of the comments that Pete Carroll made about just that he thought that it was you know important for other NFL coaches to give these quarterbacks second opportunities. That his uh, eagerness, the kind of twinkle in his eye that you saw when people asked him about the possibility of bringing Drew Locke back as well. I, I think again, Seattle is just kind of allowing themselves all of the flexibility in the world. And that's an awful advantageous position to be at. I get the sense that right now, and this is just my opinion, my viewpoint of the situation. The Seahawks have put themselves in a position 
where Pete Carroll can win now by re-signing Geno Smith. I mean, they appear to have all their eggs in that basket, that they are going to get that deal done. And at the same time, in the background, John Schneider is looking towards maybe a future where he's the general manager and Pete Carroll is not on the sidelines. And you have a young quarterback that you bring in now with a top five pick, as Pete Carroll talked about today. This is not an opportunity that they have had. They have consistently been picking in the 20s, and even last year picking at number nine overall with the pick they got from the Denver Broncos. They just have not had these opportunities. This will be the first top five pick, and they're hoping it's the last top five pick that they have because they expect to be competing for championships, not for high draft choices. And so this truly provides that opportunity. And in the words of John Schneider, why would you draft a quarterback when you also re-sign Geno Smith? Because these players do not grow on trees. There has never been a truer statement. And if there is a quarterback in this class that they have an opportunity to draft early that they really like, it makes all the sense in the world to do that. And obviously you can look at it from the other perspective that go get a player to put around Geno Smith to give yourself a better chance to win now. But again, Typically, your best quarterbacks, they don't always come from the first round, but your elite talents, this is where they go in the draft normally. And if they don't pick one, who knows when they're going to get that next opportunity to be able to add a young quarterback that they can develop. And so it truly just gives them an immense amount of flexibility. And they have all the confidence in the world in Geno Smith, as they should. At the same time, he's going to be 33 years old the chance to go out and get somebody like an Anthony Richardson or maybe Will Levis or somehow C.J. Stroud is still there for them at number five or Bryce Young somehow. There's a lot of talent at the quarterback position this year, and who knows when the Seahawks can have that opportunity to pick a player of that caliber again. They're hoping they're not going to be in that position anytime soon, especially as long as Pete Carroll is on the sidelines. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, again, because you are in this incredible position, because there is really intriguing quarterback talent. I mean, you just rattled off all four names. And obviously that uh, if those quarterbacks do come off the board, that is going to allow a really, really talented defensive player to fall into your lap. And you, you kind of touched upon that. Uh, what an interesting dynamic that might be if that, it, you know, Pete Carroll is chomping at the bit to, to go and get a, a defensive player who's going to be able to impact this team immediately at that number five overall selection presuming that geno smith is brought back and meanwhile john schneider might be looking at more of that long-term approach and of course that's his job as general manager taking yep. that that longer approach and just thinking hey i i think this anthony richardson in two years is going to be the best quarterback from this class what's all said and done you would have, you'd be crazy not to select him if that is the way that your top scouts feel uh, about a quarterback because again they as you just said they don't grow on trees so to me that's really going to be a fascinating conversation here i i just thought that that seattle's uh, ability to bring geno smith back that that again just allows them to do whatever the heck they want to do whereas some of the other teams that are selecting the top 10 they the las vegas raiders for example i mean they've already made their decisions um, you know, and, and so because of that, now they're a little bit kind of stuck. They painted themselves into a corner. So I, I think that Seattle's kind of playing this very well. And I think that you're going to see some defensive players this week at the Combine, Corbin, who are going to pique the interest of Pete Carroll. So to me, this is going to be a really fascinating decision moving forward. And I'm glad you pointed out teams like the Raiders that are behind the Seahawks a few picks in the first round, because what is the other thing that the comments made by John Schneider and Pete Carroll today? What's the other thing that it's doing? It is drumming up interest in that number five selection. 
if there is a team behind him that needs a quarterback more than what the Seahawks do, you may, might be able to eke out higher draft picks or maybe a future first round pick from a team to move up. That could be maybe the Raiders or the Carolina Panthers at number nine. And so the Seahawks brass, they are playing the game right now. This is gamesmanship. We could pay, we could take a quarterback here. We like a lot of quarterbacks here. We're doing our due diligence. We've also got Geno Smith. We're going to bring him back. Oh, no, by the way, this is a premium pick at number five. And if you want a quarterback, you know, wink, wink, we're selling. So they, again, have given themselves an immense amount of flexibility to pick a defensive player, pick a receiver, whatever they want to do. They can do anything at that number five spot. They can trade down. If there's a player they want a few places in front of them, they can trade up too. Everything is on the table for John Schneider, P. Carroll, and that's what makes this a really exciting and critical draft coming up well, for the it, Seattle Seahawks. I was going to say it, it does. And now you said it right there, but almost kind of like you needed convincing yourself about the possibility of Seattle trading up. And the Corbin, I am telling you, this is a year where this where trader John Schneider might be looking to be moving up. If the Chicago Bears really are willing to just auction off that number one overall pick, if they don't want that selection, whether they look to trade their current quarterback, Justin Fields, who somebody I think that Seattle might be interested if you exactly what Pete Carroll said is that there's these coaches out there who see these young, talented players that give up on them. If the Chicago Bears are willing to do that with Justin Fields, then I think that that's something that Seattle is going to be interested in. Not necessarily that they really want Fields, but just, again, a very young, talented quarterback and a team that maybe is going to be willing to take less than they probably should for that player. And again, the possibility of trading up number one overall, if they fall in love with one of these defensive players and they basically rationalize it, like, look, we're bringing back Geno Smith. We believe that he can lead us to a championship. That if there's a defensive player here that can put us over the top, then go up and get him. And I think that that's, that is kind of a, the, the flexibility that Seattle has provided itself and something that I think that they are going to really try to take advantage of moving all the way up to the very final seconds before they actually turn in their card with their selection. Again, all options are on the table, and you know that there are two people in this world that are really excited about that, and it's Pete <laughs> Carroll and John Schneider, because when you have that much flexibility, all the cards are on your table, and you have the ability to run the first 10 picks of this draft potentially, and who knows what they end up doing with it, but Quarterback is certainly something that's on the table, whether they re-sign Geno Smith or they do not. And that just adds further intrigue to this offseason for the Seahawks. Coming up next, it's Transaction Tuesday. Speaking of intrigue, the Seahawks have two first-round picks, and they have two second-round picks. We're going to have a little bit of fun here on today's Transaction Tuesday with five players, and you can only pick two of them as your preferred players that you want to see in Seahawks uniforms. We're going to look at some listener responses. And, of course, Rob and I are going to dish out our thoughts as well. That's coming up next here on our two. Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Built Bar. Looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories? Then you got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little healthier this year. If you're like me and you want to eat healthier but don't want to compromise taste, then you've got to try a Built Bar where healthy is actually tasty. It's the perfect it's the perfect snack for your news resolution. What makes Built Bar so good? Well, for starters, they are covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and coconut almond. 
I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros, such as 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't have to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been telling you to order Built Bars at Built.com, but now you can head over to your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. And if you're close to Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box with other hit flavors such as brownie batter and churro. You can thank me later. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad, as always, to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening here nearby in the Combine in Indiana or in nearby Renton. We greatly appreciate you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It's time for Transaction Tuesday, our favorite segment of the offseason. And, Rob, for today's discussion, the question that I pitched to the 12s, with it being Combine Week, it has got to be draft-related. And I think this is a very fitting topic with some breaking news that came out on Instagram earlier today with a certain Seahawks player. But the question that we dished out on social media, which two preferred draft targets would you like to see the Seahawks select? And you and I picked out five players from different position groups Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech, and then we had Kalijah Kansi from Pittsburgh, Jordan Addison, the receiver from USC, John Michael Schmitz, the center from Minnesota, and Anthony Richardson, AR-15, the quarterback from Florida, were the five options. And so we had our listeners tell us which two of those five that they would love to see in a Seahawks uniform, which players they would prefer the most. Now, I do think that these answers may have been swayed a little bit differently if our listeners had known about Austin Blythe retiring, which happened a few hours ago, announced on Instagram, we got responses for this yesterday. So fans did not know about that news and that Austin Blythe was not going to be playing this next season. So maybe that would have skewed these answers a little bit. But interestingly, Rob, the two answers that were most common were the two defensive linemen, Tyree Wilson and Kalijah Kansi, maybe that shouldn't be surprising because that was a huge issue for the Seahawks last year defensively, particularly defending the run. But here's a few responses from our listeners before you and I have a chance to digest this and spit out our two selections. Dax McCoy saying, out of these two, I want Tyree and Kansi. The defensive line is the biggest need, and I seriously doubt we'd need to use a first on John Michael Smith. He also said, by the way, Anthony Richardson had better not be on the Seahawks. Keep him in Levis as far away as possible. Puke face. So then, very strong opinion on the quarterback situation there. Dan Vienza, a friend of the podcast. If I can get two of those five guaranteed, Tyree Wilson and Jordan Addison, dynamic players on each side of the ball, and then go hard in the trenches on day two and then Jimmy Reed at Jimmy in church said Tyree Wilson because he could be a great do-it-all and defensive end maybe go back to a 4-3 with him and Anthony Richardson could be the next Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson who knows take your gamble Tom Gilanella said Wilson and Schmidt athletic defensive end linebacker with upside and the best center in the draft right there we potentially fulfill two huge wants and needs with those first two picks. And then Wimarek said AR-15 and Jordan Addison. Could you imagine that, Rob, picking a quarterback and a receiver with the two first-round picks instead of a, a going defense on either one of them? And he said best players available, quarterback to sit behind the vet and a top receiver to add explosiveness. 
all outstanding responses. And really, this feels like one of those questions where you can't necessarily go wrong because you don't know the specific value where they're going to be picking at. But all five of these players would be outstanding additions for the Seahawks. The real question here, though, for you, Rob, which of the two would you think are the most preferred for these five players? Well, first off, as you said, Corbett, I think that just a really good choice of, of the five players. I think these are five players the Seahawks are very interested in. Um, I think that they make so much sense in so many different ways. And one of the things that um, I think that the listeners and viewers and thank you as always uh, could should hopefully be having the most fun with this little exercise is the fact that, again, Seattle has four picks, two first round picks, two second round picks. So very possible that Seattle could get four maybe even five of those guys in a trade down scenario because you just look at the the tiering of where you expect these players to go. I mean, you know, Tyree Wilson is not likely to be available any later than outside of the top six, seven picks if Seattle's do a slight trade down. But as we've talked about before, just a slight trade down number five, you're talking about getting a lot of compensation. You know, so that that would be really a, an opportunity to get a lot of these type these caliber of players, and that to me was also one of the fun things is just listening to all the different answers that we got. And thank you as always um, to all those listeners and all those viewers. I, I think so many of the the combinations make so much sense because Seattle does have some key areas of concern. Uh, for me, I would come out of this draft with Anthony Richardson. If I thought that's that, that he was going to be available to Seattle at 20 and even at number five, if there was so much buzz about him as, as some are speculating at this point, I put Anthony Richardson to Seattle uh, at the 20th overall pick with the only mock draft that I've done so far and took Tyree Wilson at number five overall. So th those are two of again, of my, my favorites. I'm, I'm kind of sticking to that, but I, I did want to mention this a moment ago. So or, or mention this for a moment and, Again, just to be clear, my choices would be Tyree Wilson at five, Anthony Richardson, if he somehow was available to you at 20. And if that, if that was not the case, then I would go with Jordan Addison. Now, and then that's the, where I want to kind of spin off of that. Is I, two of the three, as you just mentioned a moment ago, it, it would be a you know, kind of a crazy selection in a lot of people's minds. If the Seahawks were to go with the quarterback and a wide receiver, they don't take any lineman whatsoever. And, as most of our very logical listeners and viewers who submitted these mock drafts had Seattle taking linemen. But that's one thing that we have seen the Seahawks at times do is focus on the trenches with veterans. And so I think that there's a possibility here, kind of like we talked about just a moment ago about Seattle trading up number one overall. I think that that's probably unlikely. But I think that there is more of a chance of that this year than any year we've seen in the past. Same thing here. I think that there's more of a chance, even though Seattle's clear area of concern is along the line of scrimmage. It's obvious it's along the line of scrimmage. I think the fact that this is a good center class, you might be able to get one a little bit later than the first round because you already addressed your edge rushers in a in big way with all of the draft picks, all of the free agents you brought in with Nuosu and Daryl Taylor and Boye Moffitt, et cetera, et cetera, that you could talk yourself into this is your chance to get a quarterback. This is your chance to get a dynamic wide receiver. Again, for me, I would go a different route, but I do think that that's something that a lot of people are just sleeping on that possibility. And I think that there is some evidence that Seattle might go that route, just knowing the way that Seattle has historically gone with veterans, especially along the offensive line. Yeah, when I look at this crop of players, we talked about Cansey a little bit on an earlier episode, I believe the end of last week. And 
I'm a big fan of his pass rushing ability. I just have questions about where he fits scheme wise, what the Seahawks are going to be doing. Cause I don't see him being a two gapper with him being a 280, 285 pound defensive tackle. Now we've seen guys that size that have been monsters. Aaron Donald coming from Pittsburgh. I'm not saying that Kansi's the next Aaron Donald either. They, the guy is disruptive, but that's, that is a reach there as far as comps go. But if he was there at 20, potentially, that might be something that the Seahawks could consider here. But I think Tyree Wilson of these five players would be my first target just because he's a dynamic do-it-all defensive end and I think has a ton of upside, a guy that could have a ceiling through the clouds, almost as tall as what he is coming off the edge. And so those are the kind of players you want to pick at number five overall. But I'm going to surprise our listeners because John Michael Schmitz, with the retirement of Austin Blythe, and with me being a big fan of him, I think a lot of our listeners are probably thinking that would be your preferred pick at number 20. But I'm actually leaning towards Jordan Addison here. If he is there at number 20, if you can get another dynamic receiver to go with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett that Geno Smith can throw to, a heck of you draft a quarterback with that first pick, maybe Jordan Addison becomes his target a year or two from now. I mean, Tyler Lockett's not getting any younger. He's now past the age of 30, so... We believe he's got several more good seasons. But the point is, when you have an opportunity, if Addison is still there at number 20, a guy that is a dynamic receiving threat that create after catch, he can win downfield, can do a little bit of everything, a great route runner. If you can get a guy like that at number 20, he would be my number two selection here. So I would say Tyree Wilson and Jordan Addison are my two picks here. And I'm also going to say something about what John Schneider pitched today. One lesson he said that he has learned over the years here is to not force the issue just to fill team needs. And I think that that is something that is especially standing out with Austin Blythe retiring. And I love John Michael Schmitz. I think he's a great player and I think he'd be worth number 20, but don't force the issue, get the best talent that you can. And so if Jordan Addison is there, you take that opportunity to add that elite talented receiver at number 20. And then this is a good center class. Maybe you can get that value better with one of those two second round picks or even into the third round. Well, exactly. And that to me is, is uh, actually a little bit of the argument for waiting on the center as well as the wide receiver position. I, I Hey, I am a big fan of, of Jordan Addison. He is one of only two wide receivers in this class, Corbin, that I gave a top 20 grade to. Um, the other one being Quentin Johnson or TCU is the exact opposite of Jordan Addison. Addison is the smaller, shiftier guy, six foot, 185 to 190 pounds. He's likely to run like the wind and he catches just about everything. And then Quentin Johnson is 6'4", 215 pounds. He runs like the wind, he jumps through the roof, and he catches most balls. But that's the thing is that there are some drops on tape. Otherwise, when you see what an athlete is at his size, he justifies being a top 20 pick as well. But at the same time, I think there's some other really good receivers in this class that are why you could go necessarily. You, you could go theoretically in a different route just because of, again, those second round picks. Um, you know, the the other, the only other receiver that I gave a first round grade to is Zay Flowers from, Beast, from Boston College. And we'll talk plenty about him as well. But again, my point being is just that I think you make an excellent point about Jordan Addison. I think that that's something that, Seahawks fans may not want to hear. They may want to just kind of build through the trenches. I get all that. And again, I think that you're going to see Seattle try to consider some of these veteran options that are available to them because they do want to compete immediately. And so here's the, the, the real quick point I wanted to make about that is as far as the, the, uh, the 
wide receivers, again, the, the depth is just so good. Um, and and with, uh, that I think the Seattle might be able to take a little bit better advantage of that by just waiting a little bit further. This really does feel like a situation where Seattle would be pretty happy if they can come out of the draft with two or three of the five players that we listed, any of yep. those players, because they all either check off needs short-term or long-term. They all seem like players that would fit what the Seahawks look for from a physical standpoint, from an athleticism standpoint. Maybe not all schematically, can't see being the one that jumps out there, but there are a lot of things to like about him and Seattle they try to make their scheme fit with the strengths of their players. So if there's somebody like that they really like, they can meld that player to their scheme. And so, again, all these guys would be players that we think the Seahawks are going to have interest in. And it'll be curious to see how the draft board unfolds and which of these guys will end up being available to the Seahawks with their first-round picks or maybe potentially their second-round selections as well. Coming up next, it's Combine Week, so we are going to get to our defensive players that have the most to gain. We looked at offensive players on Monday's show. We'll be talking about pass rushers, defensive tackles, linebackers, and, of course, corners and safeties, the players we think have a chance to really make themselves some money or potentially lose money this week in Indianapolis. We'll get to those here in a moment. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad, as always, to be jo- joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. It's Combine Week in Indianapolis. We got to hear from John Schneider and Pete Carroll today. Tomorrow, the focus will all shift to the players. We will start to see interviews. And, of course, the workouts are going to be starting on Thursday So there's a lot of opportunities for players to make money for themselves. And of course, if they botch things, they can lose money with draft positioning as well. Looking at the defensive position groups, Rob, and we got to start with pass rushers because the guys getting after the quarterbacks, those are the players that make themselves the big bucks. Who is an edge outside linebacker from this year's crop that you have highlighted looking at this week thinking this is a guy that has a chance to make or break his draft positioning? Well, of course, we've been talking so much about Tyree Wilson, but it's, uh, he is not expected to be to be working out this week. So, unfortunately, we're not going to get to see what he can do. There are some dynamic athletes in this draft class, Corbin, at that edge rusher position. And some of the guys who I think are going to just work out incredibly well and generate a lot of attention, Keon White from Georgia Tech, Lucas Van Ness from Iowa, Zach Harrison from Ohio State, uh, those are some of the guys who I think are going to put up the the eye popping numbers. For some of those guys, Miles Murphy from Clemson being another one. For some of those guys, the the tape matches the explosiveness that I think that we are about to see. For some of those guys, they don't. And so I am specifically really eager to see what type of pure athleticism in terms of in terms of the 40-yard dash, in terms of the change of direction drills from Lucas Venice. I can see the power, and he's a young man, so you just kind of know that he's going to get stronger as you move forward. But what type of athlete is he? I've been fooled by Iowa big strong football players in the past, but they often don't turn out to be the same caliber of athletes that I expect them to be. So Lucas Van Ness is one for me. Again, Zach Harrison from Ohio State. He is a guy who's got really long arms, signed with Ohio State as this super highly recruited player and only showed flashes. But I tell you what, when Ohio State lost to Michigan, I thought Zach Harrison was arguably the best player on the field for the Buckeyes. And so that is going, that's that's uh, not something that I have on my, just myself. There's going to be a lot of 
other scouts who saw that type of effort, who saw that type of physicality and production, they're going to be excited about that as well. So if he can build upon that, like I think he will with the spectacular combine workout, that's going to boost some stock for him as well. We've talked about this a couple times on recent shows. One program that has a lot of NFL talent coming into this draft that maybe isn't a household name. They're not considered a blue blood like your Michigans, your Ohio States, your Alabamas. But Kansas State has some really fun players coming into this draft class. And I might talk about more than one player from that school in this segment. But Felix Uzuma, the pass rusher extraordinaire off the edge. I see some Cliff Averill in his game. I see a guy that really knows and has mastered how to punch the football out when he gets to the quarterback. Eight forced fumbles the last two years. He is the ideal build and athleticism for a 3-4 outside linebacker, and I think you'd have a chance to get him on day two potentially. But if he goes out and runs a blistering 40 and has really good short uh, shuttle and three-cone drill times working out in Indy, This is a player that could vault himself into the first round discussion because he's been extremely productive. He played for one of the better teams in the nation this year. Kansas State had a fantastic season in the Big 12. They won the conference championship game over TCU. And one of the reasons they had that success is Yuzuma was a monster off the edge for them. He's still a player that's got to grow as a run defender, but I think from an athleticism standpoint, he's one of those guys that could take the roof off Lucas Oil Stadium, and if he does that, we've seen what great athletic performances can do lifting stock. This is already a guy that's rising coming into the draft process. He could be one of those edge guys that rockets into first-round discussion this week. He could. Really good football player. One of the guys I, I really like in this draft class and excited to see how he performs. Um, I the, the, To me, I, I really don't care You know, with, without knowing what he's going to do. Of course, I, I shouldn't say this, but he is one of those guys that I don't really care what Felix puts on tape as far as the combine because of what he put on tape throughout his college football career has been so good. So whether it's a good workout, whether it's a bad workout, I mean, obviously you want to be in shape. You want to see the competitiveness, but he doesn't have to convince me in, in shorts um, of that he's a good football player and that he's going to be a good pro um, because I've already seen that. One of the guys that I've seen certainly be productive um, is Tuli Tuli Pelotu um, for USC. I mean, he just you know was among the, the entire country's tackle for loss and sack leaders this past season. Won the Morris Trophy Award, which is you know I'm, is, I take it that very seriously. The winners of that award, because as we talked about before, that means it's the players that are trying to block you are saying you're the best guy in the conference, and that's exactly what happened by a landslide. By the way, um, what happened in the, the Pac-12 voting this year. And so this is a guy who's 6'4", 280 pounds. And Corbin, I, I hear a lot of people get excited about Drew Sanders, for example, the outside linebacker for Arkansas. And to me, one of the things I'm most excited about with Sanders is his positional versatility. Same thing with Tui Pelotu. This is a guy that's played up and down the entire defensive line. I mean, defensive tackle, on the nose, outside, stand-up edge rusher, hand-in-the-dirt edge rusher. He's dropped back and played outside linebacker, middle linebacker. I mean, talk about production, but when you watch him, he doesn't look like he's going to test really explosively. He doesn't look like a real fast guy. So I'm really curious to see how he works out. Does he 
perform better in athletic drills than people expect. Talk about a guy who no one seems to be talking about, but that could jump into that top 50, maybe even first round conversation, as you just mentioned with Kansas State's edge rusher. USC's got one as well. And of course, Pete Carroll pays a little bit of attention to USC. I want to go to the trenches because it's always fun to see a big guy that lights it up in combine drills. Not that I think a defensive tackle's 40 time really matters that much in the scheme of things. But like last year, for example, what Jordan Davis did, that was not human for a 300 pound man to run the way that he did. It's not human. It's like the guy came from Mars or something and then ended up working out in the combine. I don't think that Siaka Iki from or from Ika from Baylor is going to come close to Jordan Davis's numbers, but he's also a massive human being at 350 pounds. And you can see the athleticism sometimes in more spurts than you want to see on film. He can be inconsistent at times, but when he wants to take over a game, this is a rare nose tackle in today's modern football. They can do that. And so I'm really curious to see if he's this year's big man on campus, figuratively and literally, by going out and putting on a show in combine drills at 350 pounds. And I think there's a chance that he could be the guy this year that leaves the jaws dropping a little bit. Like, that guy ran that fast at that size. He could be a player that does that. And I'm telling you, that's another guy that if you can put good 40 times and good short shuttle stuff like that at 350 pounds, those kind of players in today's NFL, you have to show you're an athlete to get drafted high. He's a player that has a chance to, to really secure that top 50 slot by doing that. And you mentioned Drew Sanders as well. He is on my short list because I just want to see what he's able to do out there testing. And I want to see him in the positional drills because of that versatility that you just mentioned. This is a guy that had nine and a half sacks this past season for Arkansas. And so he brings some unique traits to the table for an off-ball linebacker, had some good coverage numbers as well. As Pete Carroll mentioned today, teams are looking for those players that they can move all over the field. Drew Sanders might be that modern off-ball linebacker that can do that. And, oh, by the way, Daniel Jeremiah had him in his top 10 in his most recent mock draft. So he might be much more highly regarded than people realized going into this process. And maybe he solidifies himself as a top 15 player with a really strong combine week. Yeah, he, he could. I mean, he's definitely going to be one of the players. I think they're going to have an awful lot of eyes on him because, as you said, uh, you know, a former Alabama player who goes to Arkansas and just explodes and has been very, very productive in a lot of different roles. And so I think that he, again, there's a lot of teams out there, especially because there's a relative dearth, I think, of, of true off-ball linebackers in this class and, and really downhill linebackers as well. It's not a great linebacker class. Um, one linebacker that I personally am very interested to see how he performs is Washington State's Dayon Henley. Um, you know, the fact that Seattle does have some potential areas, you know, potential concerns at linebacker, it's going to make it that much more interesting to watch. I'm not so sure that that Henley is the greatest schematic fit for what I think that Seattle is going to be looking to do, but that remains to be seen. But in terms of a guy who's an athlete, we've talked about him before, former wide receiver at Nevada and just had an unbelievable season. One of the greatest greatest seasons of any linebacker. I know not statistically, 
but he was a Buckus finalist, Corb. That's never happened at Wazoo before. And so I certainly am going to be watching to see what Dan Henley is able to do for, from Washington State in terms of the, just the 40-yard dash, the, the broad jump, things like that that measure his true explosiveness. I think he's going to do very well in that regard. And if I'm going to stay local, then I'm going to be really local with Tacoma's own Keely Ringo, the, the cornerback superstar for Georgia Bulldogs. You got the pick six. Broke Bryce Young in Alabama's heart a couple of years ago in the national championship game. I say Tacoma Zone, he, of course, played a lot of his high school ball in Arizona before he went to uh, to Georgia. But uh, he, uh, you know, was raised a little bit, at least some of his time in, in Tacoma, went to some of the Tacoma public schools. I think he's going to be absolutely fantastic in this workout environment. He's 215 pounds, and I'm expecting times in the low four fours, maybe in those four threes. Talk about really kind of grabbing the attention of scouts. I think Keely Ringo was about to have a spectacular performance in the workouts and push himself in that top 50, perhaps even first round conversation as well. Our listeners probably are seeing a theme here. We are looking for those guys and to an extent. There's a few guys that maybe don't check off this box, but we are looking for those guys that are freaks, like what Reek the Freak was last year. Uh, Tariq Woolen going out and, and having the performance that he did. And there are a couple big-bodied corners and safeties in this draft that I think have an opportunity to wow in similar ways. Maybe not put up the eye-popping numbers that Tariq Woolen did last year, but safety J.L. Skinner from Boise State is one guy that I'm going to be watching very closely. And I'll admit I'm biased in the sense because I'm a Boise State fan. And he is one of my favorite players that I've seen wear a Broncos uniform over the years. 6'4", well over 200 pounds. You don't see many guys built like that at the safety position. You don't want to throw out the Cam Chancellor comparisons lightly. And I don't know that he's the same style player, but he'll come up and he'll smack you. He's got really good ball skills. You can move him back deep as a too high safety. He can do all kinds of different stuff. Again, that Swiss Army knife. And he's a player at that size could have a very impressive combine in terms of testing. And that may very well push him into the first round. Another player that I think is just trying to solidify his day two standing, maybe early day three, Julius Brents, another Kansas State player that is six foot three, long arms. Don't know that he's going to necessarily run a blazing 40 time, but if he somehow runs in a four fours at that size, especially after a team's passed up on Tariq Woolen last year, there may be some uh, recency bias there that ends up shooting him way higher on the draft board this year with teams looking for their own Tariq Woolen. No, they absolutely could. I mean, you mentioned some really good football players there who I think are going to work out really well. Um, I, I wanted to kind of mention, too, with Kelly, Kelly Ringo, um, you know, that he's not necessarily somebody I think that the Seahawks are going to select because Seattle has never shown a preference for taking a corner that high. And, of course, as we know, Seattle's corners look pretty good with the aforementioned Tariq Woolen, uh, you know, as, as well as Kobe Bryant and, you know, uh, I think that Seattle, that's that's not a position of concern for the Seahawks. But if you watch Ringo, he did struggle a little bit more this season than he did a year ago. And I, I've been critical of some of the other players, like quarterback Will Levis, for example, the fact that he didn't finish his career on a high note, you know, all those expectations. Ringo is a player that could drop down the board a little bit. He, like, as, as I said, he, he was beaten a fair amount in coverage this year when you watch him on tape. This is his time to shine, though. He is going to work out so spectacularly. And, of course, just the track record of Georgia players and the success they have at the NFL. He's going to be fine. But if he does start to slip down the board too far, I think that the athletic traits are so good 
that again, Seattle might just be kind of overcome by, hey, this guy could be a superstar in our system. A la Tariq Woolen, you have to invest in a player if he starts to fall too far in the second, perhaps even third round, because teams just, you know, kind of fall or fall out of love with a talented player, just like Pete Carroll talked about before, a quarterback. As always, you want to make sure you can get the best player available. And I think that was emphasized today by John Schneider. So if Ringo's a player that checks off that box, he falls in the second round with the athletic traits and size that he has, maybe he's the player that ends up falling into the Seahawks' laps this time around. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. You can check out Locked on Seahawks. We're on all the major podcast platforms as well as on video form five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on our Wednesday episode, we're going to continue our combine coverage, taking a look at some specific position groups. Plus, we'll talk about Austin Blythe's retirement and what that means for the Seahawks offensive line moving forward. We hope you'll be listening in. Thanks for tuning in to our Tuesday episode. Go Hawks!